Good morning. Good morning. It is a good morning for me because God is real. God is alive and God is awesome. Amen. Uh, Stand up and repeat these words after me. God is real. God is alive. God is awesome. Thank you very much. And while you're standing, I just want to say thank you for each one of you because I know each one of you have played a tremendous part in the overseas missions in Brazil. I love your church. I love uh, Pastor Lyle and and Miss Susan. Uh, I love uh, Randy and Lisa and their family. And we've just uh, really formed a strong bond over these last uh, seven or eight years. And before we go to the Lord in prayer, Brother Bob, I see you down here, my fellow comrade in Lane Blocks. Uh, I tell you, you, you guys have a special church. And I just want to say thank you for uh, having the opportunity to serve with you, to work with you. And we look forward to working together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, we just uh, lift you up at this time and we pray that all of the pride that we have in our hearts, Lord, we can set that aside. I ask, Lord, that the words that I speak would uh, come from you. And Lord, I pray that we can enter into a word of truth. And Lord, I pray that we open our hearts so that we can obey you and walk in your love. Uh, All this in your name. Amen. Y'all be seated. Thank y'all for having me. We have a few guests with us this morning as well. My uh, wife, Lisa, if you would stand. And then my two daughters, Sydney and Peyton, if you would stand. And then uh, my mother-in-law, Miss Barbara, if you would stand. Monica, Nicole, if you guys would stand. And then the rest of their family, if y'all would stand. Let's give it up for these guys here. Uh, I want to say thank you guys for coming out and uh, being with us in uh, this service today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, verse 19. I want you to know that uh, the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart when I was seven years old. And I remember I was in a uh, tent revival in Memphis, Tennessee. I lived there for 10 years, and my parents, I grew up as a Baptist uh, young man. I was a Baptist when I was in my mother's womb. I'm a Baptist now, and I think I'll always remain a Baptist. Now, there are some things that I think we Baptists can kind of get over and work out, but uh, I really appreciate uh, what uh, the Lord has done uh, in my life and for me, and When I was uh, saved as a young boy, I can remember uh, asking the Lord to take hold of my life. I gave my life to to Him. But I have to be honest with you, I was raised in sort of a performance-based family where my dad uh, was always about uh, doing more, doing better. And I really didn't really understand the true life of grace and Jesus Christ until I became older in my in my life. I, I would say I lived my life as a typical Christian. When I went to college, I went to the University of Tennessee. I, I, would play, I loved sports. I always played sports when I was growing up. And my uh, 
gold in life was to become a professional football player. I played football at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Played for Coach Johnny Majors. I saw one of my room uh, teammates uh, the other day, Bill Bates, who played for the Dallas Cowboys. Went on with a 15-year career. And uh, I have a lot of friends. Lee Jenkins is one of my close friends. He lived uh, next door to me. And uh, a lot of these guys ended up playing an extended career in football. My story starts where I went to UT, and uh, my gold was uh, a sold-out Christian. And as I entered into college, I recognized that uh, I began to sort of falter. I, I, I remember, Randy, when I looked at the depth chart, they had a depth chart they posted every week. And there were 10 running backs. And guess who was number 10 on the depth chart? I was. I was the only white running back as well. So they called me the great white hope. And uh, I wasn't uh, near as fast as those guys. I felt like I was pretty strong. But, uh, and so I, being the 10th running back, Randy, what you do is you get to hold a lot of dummies. And so uh, I was a practice dummy for the first half of the year. And what I noticed was my original intent was when I went, I said, Lord, I really just want to be an impact for you on that team. And what happened was is that my, my faith in Christ began to sort of diminish because all the things in the world I got caught up in, I got caught up in the, the drinking deal, I got caught up in the staying out late, I got caught up in wanting to fit in to the rest of the guys. And, you know, it's interesting as I look at teens and I look at uh, uh, my kids and as they're, they're kind of growing up, the pressure to, to conform is really strong. It's really strong. And uh, I kind of caved in. And I noticed my football career was going really good. I mean, I, I, was, I went from 10th string, 9th string, 8th string, kind of all the way up about middle of the year. I uh, got to dress out at the in the Notre Dame game. It was the first time we played in 37 years. That was a big deal for me. And uh, toward the end of the year, uh, I was kind of seeing maybe a little bit more promise. And in the spring, getting ready for the spring game, I had worked all the way up to like fifth string, which means you have a chance of possibly playing when you're a sophomore. So that was a big deal for me. My football career was going pretty good, but my spiritual career was in the tank. And I, I remember uh, getting a pair of white cleats in my locker. And at UT, when you get white cleats, that basically means you got a starting position. Now, I didn't have a starting position like on the team, but I had a starting position in the orange and white game. So what we do is we split up. We have an orange team. We have a white team. The orange team plays the white team. So I was on the orange team, and I got a white pair of shoes, so I was going to get to start. I remember putting those cleats on, man, and I could just see myself running out in front of 115,000 people on a Saturday. Man, I was all pumped up. I was just, uh, you wouldn't believe, my dreams were coming true. The very next day, in half pads, nobody tackled me. I had a little off tackle. It was uh, actually, it was kind of a little delayed play, and I just took a step, and I pushed off my right foot. When I did, this whole knee just kind of collapsed. And I tore all the ligaments in my knee. I lay down on the ground on the carpet. Back then they had the carpet on the Neyland Stadium. Uh, the guys rushed over. 
And the guy fell to him and he says, man, you're in trouble. And at that time, the Lord said to me, Gary, I want you to get your life right with me. And there's some verses in the Bible that talks about, you see, guys, here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus said we are like sheep. Now, <clears throat> I have some friends of mine, actually really good friend, Dr. Jett, when he was growing up, they actually raised sheep. And I was talking to him the other day about sheep, and he tells me that sheep are pretty dumb animals. As a matter of fact, a sheep is so dumb that you have to show it everything to do. And actually, uh, a sheep is uh, it's helpless. A sheep needs a shepherd. And did you know if you lay a sheep down, a sheep can't get back up on its feet by itself. It has to have help to, to get back up on its feet. And Jesus said that you and I are like sheep. And there's another verse of Scripture that basically says that if, as a sheep, you see, as a sheep, Jesus is our shepherd. He, he likes shepherds over us. He is our guider. He's our director for our lives. And if you are a born-again Christian, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you've said yes to Him, and you're in His family, I want you to know that He loves you. And there's nothing you can do to get outside His love. Nothing. doesn't matter. But here's what He will do. He loves you so much. He loved me so much. You know what He did? He says, I will break the leg of the sheep in order to keep Him in the fold. Man, I found that verse of Scripture after this happened to me. And I'm going to be honest with you. I fell in depression for about two weeks. I didn't go to class. I had a bad attitude. It was like I felt like my whole life had just ended. And I can remember I had gone a couple of times to this thing. How many of you know what Young Life is? Young Life? Anybody knows what Young Okay, they got this thing called Quest in college. It's kind of like a Young Life deal. It's just, it is Young Life for college students. And so this guy named Bob, he, uh, I went to Young Life. Well, he knew, he found out that something had happened to me. He brought me this book. And the title of the book was A Step Further by Johnny Eckerson. It was about a lady, girl in high school who fell off a horse. She uh, broke her neck, was a quadriplegic, and ended up being sold out for the Lord. And as I read that book, man, the Lord convicted me. And basically said, you know what, Gary? Yeah, you've got a bunged up knee. And yeah, you probably won't ever be able to play again. But guess what? I still have plans for you. And that day, I got on my knees in my dorm room and I said, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm giving my life totally and completely to you. It was interesting after that. As time kind of develops, I move on in my Christian walk and my faith. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wind you forward. And even during that period of time, I kind of lived my life as a typical Christian. And a typical Christian is somebody who, you know, maybe goes to church on Sunday. They read their Sunday school lesson the night before on Saturday night. Can I get amen on that deal? Just to kind of make sure if anybody asks you a question, you can answer the questions. And I would even go on a Wednesday night or so often. And if you guys go on Wednesday night, you know, God's got a special place for you in heaven. And, you know, that's kind of where I was. And I, I really didn't totally, though, have my life sold out for uh, the Lord. 
And so I remember getting a call from Dr. Jed. I was 26 years old. I had a business that was kind of thriving. I was in the construction business. I had a bunch of like 20-something projects I was working on. I had an office in Atlanta, Georgia. had an office in Jackson. And man, things were going good for me. And Dr. Jet calls me and says, Gary, I want to ask you a question. Would you like to go with me on Monday nights? I said, what are we going to do, Dr. Jet? He said, we're just going to go knock on doors and ask people to come to our church. And I thought, man, that's pretty boring. Count me out of that deal. And I just kind of tried to figure out a way to get out of it. And I said, well, Dr. Jet, I said, look, I'm just really busy. And I hung up the phone. Now, you got to understand something. On both sides of my family were sharecroppers growing up. My, my mom's parents and my dad's parents were sharecroppers in Arkansas. And every year, my, my grandparents would let me and my brother and my cousins come to Arkansas. And we stayed there in Arkansas on the little farm place for two weeks. We chopped cotton, which was awful. I hated chopping cotton. And then in the afternoons, the fun part of it was we got to go fishing. All right, so at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, the sun goes down about 8, we get uh, a truckload of vegetables. We get peas, we get corn, we get uh, butter beans, we get all this stuff, and we put them in these bushel baskets, and then we go out, we'd sell it on the side of the road, we'd take the money from there, go buy some bait, some crickets. Anybody know what crickets are? Okay, good. Just want to make sure we're connecting here. Uh, and then we go buy some crickets and we get an RC cola and a moon pie. Now, Miss Barbara, you know what that is. Some of you older folks know what RC cola. Any of you young guys in green shirts had RC colas and moon pies? Yeah, okay. Uh, I used to love those things. We get in a boat, we take the RC colas, the moon pies, and we go fishing. And I remember my granddad. Now you got to understand, my granddad was the Abraham of our family. My granddad, when he passed away. Uh, my grandmother had had his Bible. And we didn't know this, but he had read through the Bible 52 times. Every time, once a year, for 52 years. Very meek man. Uh, uh, very humble man. But a very powerful man. And I remember we'd get in the boat, and before we ate a moon pie and drank a cola, my granddad would say, let's pray. I'm thinking, pray? Pray over a moon pie? This is crazy. I'm going to pray over a moon pie. So me and my brother, we'd be playing grab butt, you know, just over here trying to get it, get at each other. And just, Calm down, boys. We're going to pray. And I remember out there in that boat one day, he said, boys, I'll tell you all something. If you ever get too busy for God, you're too busy. Man, the Lord brought me all the way back to when I was 12 years old, out in a boat with my granddad, after I hung up the phone with Dr. Jet. So I had to pick up the phone, I got to call Dr. Jet back, and I said, Dr. Jet, look, man, I'll be there Monday night. And so Dr. Jet and I started this journey. Every Monday night, we would go out, and he would have these list of people, and we'd go to their house, and we go knock on their door, and they didn't even know we were coming. Knock on their door and say, hey, you know, we're from Inglewood Baptist Church. We're just here. We saw where you visited our church. We just want to say thank you for coming. And if you got, if you got any questions, we'd love to come in your house and talk to you. Well, most of the time, you know, it's kind of be like, well, yeah, we came. You come on in. 
And one night after a really successful visit, Dr. Jett looks at me and says, Gary, have you ever thought about going overseas? I said, well, I've never been overseas before, but yeah, I have thought about it. From that point, he says, I know a fellow named Wade Akins. He's a missionary in Brazil in the state of Minas Gerais. It's a state the size of Texas. It has over 500 counties. And Wade wants to plant a church in every county in that state. He wants us to come. He wants us to preach. And he wants you to try to figure out how to build a chapel so that those chapels can be built in these communities where there are no churches so there can be churches. Would you be willing to go? 27 years old? Yeah, man, I'll do that. I'll go to Brazil. I didn't know what to expect. We finally got there. We landed in a place called Governor Vidalis, city of about 250,000 people. I had all these expectations of what to expect, and they were all different. I kind of thought I was going into a jungle with snakes and all that, and Brazil's totally different. I mean, there is jungle up in the north part in the Amazon, but not in this part where we were at. So we get there, and... Wade kind of starts doing some street preaching on the side of the church, on the side of the street. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that because I've never seen street preaching before. I'm 27 years old. This guy's preaching about Christ and I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed. So I'm kind of sticking away from the crew. I'm sort of on the outside looking in and he's kind of talking about Christ. And that day I saw seven people pray to receive Christ. I thought, man, that's pretty cool. On the way back to the hotel, he puts his arm around me. He says, look, tomorrow we're coming to the downtown area and I want you to preach. I said, no, I'm not preaching, man. I'm, I'm a contractor. I'm, you know, I, don't, I don't know how to preach. He goes, no, you're preaching. Get you a message. You're preaching tomorrow. He wouldn't take no for an answer. So I don't, how many of you heard of Adrian Rogers? I had a, I loved Adrian Rogers, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll outline my message like Adrian Rogers outlines his message. You know, he, he'd always have three points, and every point would start with the same letter. Y'all remember that? Remember how you used to do that? So I said, okay, I'll do it. My three points were fun, fame, and fortune. And so I wrote my message out. We go into the city. And it's like downtown Goodlettsville probably was 50 years ago. Everybody was downtown. People just milling around everywhere. So he has this truck. And on top of the truck, he built a platform. And the platform has two large speakers. And then he has this kind of a backdrop that he paints on. He wanted me to share the gospel. And then he was going to paint up the plan of salvation. And so I went through my three points, fun. I said, you know, I've had a lot of fun in my life, but the best fun you'll ever have is to know Christ as your Savior. I talked about fortune and the fact there's a lot of wealthy people in the United States, but there's no amount of money, no check that you can write to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I talked about fame and I said, you know, Pele, who was the greatest soccer player to ever win. He, he, he actually played in five World Cups. Now, soccer may not be big to you, but in the world's eyes, it's huge. To give you for an example, last year, there was 300 million people that watched the NFL uh, championship football game. And this year, it's projected that close to two and a half to three billion people will watch the World Cup. Soccer is ten times bigger than NFL football. And NFL football is pretty big. 
Pele is the granddaddy of soccer. So I said, even though as popular and famous as Pele is, when he walks into the kingdom of heaven, he walks to the door. If he doesn't know Christ, guess what? He ain't getting in. That day we saw 27 adults pray to receive Christ. And guys, I want to tell you something. That changed my life. Not because of what I did or what I said, but for what Jesus Christ did through me. And what that did, that began to change my world. It changed the way I saw things. It changed the way I looked at life. It, it changed the parrot. I had a paradigm shift in my life. I went back home and I began to think about things and I began to think about my life and about what I had. And the Lord showed me several things and many things that He showed me was is that what you have, Gary, doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. What He showed me was is that I've put you here on this earth to love me, to serve me, and to obey me. And your job and my commandment to you is for you to live an obedient life for me. And I want you to know, Gary, that I love you and there's nothing that you can do to escape the love that I have for you. And I want you to know something here this morning. There's something that I know about every person in this room. All of you guys are dealing with something. If you're a student, man, I'm going to tell you something. You guys got a tough road. All the stuff that happens on Instagram, all the stuff that's, you know, kicking around on the Twitter box. I mean, just all this stuff. You got these friends lying about you. You got, got people making up stuff about you. You know, how do you live a life in Christ with all that mess going on? I want you to know that if you belong to Jesus Christ, man, you cannot escape the love of Christ. He loves you. He will protect you. And all you have to do is surrender your life to Him. After I got back, I began to wonder, you know, Lord, what's, what's the next step here? The next year, we went back to Brazil again, and they called and said, we want you to design this little church building. And I had this idea that I was going to build this wooden building with a steeple that kind of looked... Y'all got a pretty cool steeple out on the front of your church, by the way. I don't know if y'all know this or not. That's a pretty cool steeple. Hadn't really seen one like that. It's a pretty hip kind of deal. Concrete, I mean... I was telling somebody earlier, man, if I live around here and a tornado comes, I'm coming to this place. Coming down in the basement, baby. This thing is, I mean, it, it'd take a nuclear war thing downstairs. And I love the way y'all got this thing decored out, man. I mean, this is really cool. Really nice. Downstairs is really cool, too. But, you know, I, I started designing this thing, and so I designed this look like a little deal, look like a steeple, put it on there. Had all this idea, we're going to build it out of wood. I meet with this pastor and he goes, no, we don't need that kind of building. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, that looks like an American church. He said, you're in Brazil. He said, let me go take you to a building that I think we would really enjoy. He drove me way out in the countryside, Bob, and I looked on top of this hill and there set what looked like Taco Bell. Y'all know the little deal? It's got the little thing like this right here on the front. Taco Bell building. That's what it was. It was blocks 
And then it had a wood roof with an asbestos. That's a, that's a dirty word in our culture. Asbestos roof on top of it. And I saw that and I said, okay. So I go back and I draw up this little Taco Bell building. And I submit a plan. And the plan that I submit, I submit it to the director of the Brazilian Mission Board. It's 27 pages long. It talks about the building, all the materials, how to do it, how to put it together. And we can build this thing in a week. Everything, man, they loved the program. They said yes to the program. They said yes to endorsing it. They said yes, we'd love, you know, for teams to come. One of the things that I had in that program was, Bob, you, I want you guys to give us a construction-minded missionary to run the program. The only thing we didn't get was the construction-minded missionary. I was sitting at my desk on January the 27th, 1991. I'm reading through the Bible. I'm in the book of Colossians. I'm at the end of the end of the chapter, end of the uh, book. And Paul says, "And tell Archippus, be sure to finish the task you were given in the Lord's service." The Lord spoke to me that day. 1991, January 27, said, Gary, I want you to go to Brazil. Now, here I am. This time, I'm 29 years old. I've got a business. And it's going to take me going three months to Brazil. i got a young family. i got a baby that's nine months old. i got a girl that's nine months old. i got another girl that's three years old. That's blonde-headed as all get out. And then I got another girl, another boy that's seven years old. We pack up. We go to Brazil. The first two weeks we there was awful. Couldn't speak the language. Couldn't get the stove to work. The stove blew up. The, the washing machine wouldn't work. We had to hang up our clothes inside. They mildewed. How many of you ever had a mildewed set of clothes? Can I get amen on that deal? That's nasty, man. That's some nasty stuff. Stink. I mean, just hot. And, and I'll be honest with you. We, we just started. I started. One day, man, I just broke. I had a mental breakdown. I just broke down. I just, man, I can't take this anymore. I, I got to get out of this place. I got to go back home. I mean, I'm eating beans and rice every day. I can't take it. I mean, I just can't take it. Finally, we get into work. Things starts kind of developing. We start ordering materials. We got our first team that comes. We build a church. And then, man, I'm telling you, it was awesome. Awesome year. We built five little chapels that year. And God really blessed. Saw close to 200 people come to Christ. And five churches get started. It was an amazing year. I share that with you to show this, to give you a little background. God has a plan for you. And the question that I have for you, what is it that God wants you to do? The general task that he gives all of us, if you're a born-again Christian, you have a story. What God wants you to do is to tell your story. It's as simple as that. The general task that he gives us is to make disciples.
turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. And I want us to look at verse 18 and 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guys, I want you to know that at the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was the architect and the designer of everything. Can I get an amen on that? Now, I was reading some articles the other day about our cosmos. And does anybody know how fast the speed of light travels? 186,000 miles per second. Pretty fast stuff, huh? Pretty quick. The moon is 250,000 miles away. So it would only take about a second and a half for the for light to go from the earth to the moon. The sun is 93 million miles away from our planet earth. I was reading an article the other day about the universe. And the Hubble telescope last year just found a universe that is approximately 13.2 billion light years away. Now, guys, I got my calculator out. It wouldn't work because it only goes so many digits. So I tried to do it longhand. And I don't know, Randy, where I probably mess it up a digit or two. Okay. But here's what I came up with. It was like 483 and then 17 zeros behind it. And I don't know what that number is, but that's how many miles away it is to that universe. Are you with me so far? What I'm trying to say to you guys is the God we serve is a big God. And that's just the universe that we know about. Uh, Randy, I'm sure they're going to build another telescope somewhere in the future. They'll probably see out there a little further than that. So what I'm trying to say to you guys is that Jesus Christ, well, at the foundation of the earth, he was the guy that designed all that stuff. Amen. So when it says here, I, want you to, I just want you to understand this. When it says here, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, I want you to understand the Jesus Christ that you love and that he loves you back. Let me tell you something. He first loved you before you loved him. Guess what? You serve a big God. He has, God has given him the authority. Now what does he say? Now let's back up here just a second. If I'm on my deathbed and I'm getting ready to tell you something, is what I'm going to tell you important? Yes. Has anybody in here ever talked to somebody right before they died? Some of you have. That's a really interesting experience. I had that same talk with my granddad. My granddad, his last words to me were, Gary, I'm sorry I couldn't leave you anything. I'm sorry I couldn't leave you an inheritance. He was a sharecropper. He didn't have nothing. You know what I told him? I said, Papa, let me tell you this. What you left me is more important than all the money in the world. You left me a foundation of Christ. Let me just tell you guys, some of you guys out there have got young kids. Some of y'all working hard. You're working yourselves to the bone. Let me just tell you something right here, right now. There's nothing more important to your family than Christ. 
You can pull a double shifts all you want. You go buy that new house. You can get that new car. You can get all this new stuff. But I'm telling something, there's nothing that's going to fill the void in your life except Christ. Nothing. I, I will be honest with you guys. I've just about had everything you can have. I've about gone everywhere you can go. Nothing will fill the void in my life except Christ. You know why? Because God designed you that way. God designed you so that the only way you could be satisfied with yourself is in Him. If you're here today and you're struggling with some issues in your life, you're struggling with family issues, relationship issues, financial issues, I'm going to point you to Christ. Young guys that are getting ready to go to college, some of you guys get ready to graduate, some of you are in college, some of you are you know, headed to different schools and got a lot of choices, got a lot of decisions. I want to tell you something, guys. I mean, that's a big deal. That's, that's just some huge decisions. I want to encourage you to pray about those decisions. I want to encourage you to, to when's the last time, guys, you were on your knees before the Lord asking Him to give you guidance and direction for your life? When's the last time you went in your closet and prayed for your family? I want you to know that there is something that's supernatural about the power that God has in prayer. Prayer is more for you than it is for God. Basically, when I bend my knees and I get down on my knees, you know what I'm doing? I'm yielding myself to the control and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm basically saying, you know what, God? This whole deal is bigger than I am. When's the last time you tried that? When's the last time you were on your knees? I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world. We live in a, we live in a, you live in a community. We live in a state. We live in a country that we almost don't need God. You get the money. You do what you want to do. You say, this is my way. You know, we have this democratic society. We can go vote. We're going to, we're going to do the things we want to do. You know what? Here's what Jesus, Paul says. I'm a slave to Christ. He says, when I came to Christ, I gave up all rights to myself and I'm yielding totally to the Lordship of Christ. It goes on to say here, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me just go over a couple of three things. And I want to close with this. When I look at the life of Christ... And he asked us this question, what's the purpose, when I ask you this question, what's the purpose of your life? I want to point you to this verse because if in fact we've already discovered that these are the very last words that Jesus has for the disciples, he's going away, he's not going to see them again. Do you think that what he's saying is pretty relevant? The answer to the question is yes. We look, at these, we look at this verse of Scripture and he's encouraging his disciples to go make disciples. We ask ourselves the question, why? Well, let's look at the two ministries that Jesus had. First, he had the ministry of public ministry, which was preaching, healing, and teaching. The second ministry he had was a private ministry. In his private ministry, he did life on life. He discipled 
the disciples. Now, which one of those ministries revolutionized the world? Which one of those ministries are causing you to be here today? The second ministry. It was his investment in the lives of those disciples that revolutionized the world. So I suggest this to us this morning. First, Jesus Christ is our model. Jesus Christ has the plan. He's already done. I want you guys to write these three things down. What did Jesus do? The first thing he did, he formed a team. His team was the disciples. He invested his life in them. The second thing he did, he trained a team. He took those guys, he walked with them, and he did life on life. Now, can I just be honest with you? We got it kind of backwards on how to make a disciple. We think that making a, a disciple is this. I talk and you listen. That's not making a disciple. Making a disciple is life on life. Uh, young man, come up here just a quick second. What's your name? Daniel? Hello, Daniel. My name's Gary. Good to meet you. Now, Daniel, how old are you? 16. 16. Now, Daniel's 16 years old. And I can tell you, man, Daniel, if I'm his mentor, Daniel's going through some stuff, right? Now, we're not going to put you on the spot here and ask you what you're going through, so don't be scared. But Daniel's going through some stuff at school. He has some friends. He's got, you know, some, some guys that may be kind of ratting on him on some stuff, or he's got some teachers he's struggling with, or he's got... You know, some parents is kind of on his tail and telling him he can't stay out till 11 o'clock or 12. He thinks he needs to be able to stay out till 4. And I mean, all this stuff's going on. Right? Can I get amen on that? Amen. Just stop talking that right there. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so he's going through all this stuff. But now I'm mentoring him. And so I'm not going to sit over here and with a Bible and I'm going to open it. All we're going to do is just read verses of Scripture. And I'm going to try to indoctrinate him with a Bible. No, that's not, that's not discipleship. Discipleship is when I begin to learn who he is first as a person. I understand the difficulties of his life. I understand what he likes to do. I understand what he enjoys to do. And guess what? We're going to go do it together. He says, man, I like playing Nintendo. Nintendo's an old game. I don't know what y'all... Was it Xbox now? Okay, Xbox. He likes playing Xbox. Well, guess what? If I'm his mentor, he and I are going to play, be playing some Xbox. Why? That's what he enjoys to do. You see, to disciple someone, I have to get myself, Bob, where he's at. I have to meet him. You, you see, Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, he had to get to the well to meet her. You see, Jesus, here's a, here's a, a prostitute in Samaria. Now, Samaria, first of all, no Jew ever went to Samaria. But why is Jesus Christ in Samaria? He's there to meet the needs of the people. No Jew would ever talk to another woman. He's talking to a prostitute. Why? Because he loves them. Guys, I want you to hear this. Hear this very clear. I don't care where you are in your life. God loves you. And what He wants you to do is He wants you to take and invest your life into the life of someone else. Amen? Now, here's what happens. 
The difference is addition versus multiplication. Addition is, well, we let Lyle up here preach. And you say, Lyle, preach on, baby. I hope somebody comes to Christ this week. Preach on. I'm going to put a little money in the offering plate. Keep preaching, buddy. Keep preaching. You go back and live your lives the way you want to live them. See, there's two kind of Christians. There's a frog Christian, and then there's the lizard Christian. Have a seat right here with me. This is a frog Christian. You've got to sit like this. And a frog Christian just sits here on a log. Preach on, Brother Lyle. Preach on. I'll write a little check for $10, put it in an envelope, put it in the thing. Boom. Come back Sunday after Sunday. Preach on, brother. Preach on. Got a little sign outside. It says, Goodlitzville Baptist Church. All is welcome. Can I tell you something? They ain't coming. They're not coming because you got a sign outside that says, come in here. Well, why? I got to get to know this guy. I got to invest in him. I got to love on him. I got to walk with him. It's not your pastor's job to bring people to Christ. It's your job. Jesus said, Go make disciples. And how you make disciples? You find somebody that's hurting and you invest your life in them. You want to grow this church? That's how you do it. A lizard Christian doesn't just come in here and show up at church. A lizard Christian goes outside the walls of the church. Now, how do I know that? Because that's what Jesus did. He got dirty with guys that nobody else wants to get dirty with. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with some pretty tough folks. What would happen if a busload of black people came into your church? Would you welcome them? Would you have open arms? I share these things, guys, because this is real stuff. And it's real because if we're going to reach the world for Christ, we've got to look at the way Jesus did things. Amen? Stand with me, please. Could I have somebody on the guitar? Guys, if you would, bow your heads, please. Uh, today is a, is a day, I think, that the Lord has really convicted me to do a better job of seeing the world as He sees the world. You know, a lot of times I see someone that's hurting or someone that's less fortunate. And I, I have these awful thoughts of thinking, well, maybe they deserve it. And then I'm reminded of the fact that it could be me. And there's not a person in this room that's not one event away from being on the streets. And so... Before we get on our high horse and think we're all that, 
we have to thank the Lord for where we are and for the Lord what He's blessed us with. And I don't know where you are today, but I'm certain of one thing, that each of you are struggling and have something in your life that's bigger than you are. And I just want to give you an opportunity this morning uh, to come and, and pray. I know I've got a few things that I have in my life that I'm uh, struggling with. And I have a, I have a daughter that's uh, having a difficult time in her life. And I've been praying for her and asking the Lord to lift her up. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure many of you may have a family member, a friend. But I guarantee you, if you're not struggling, you know somebody that is. And I know that the Lord is our hope. He is our strength. And He is our answer. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come and just uh, kneel here with me and pray. And just ask uh, the Lord uh, to rescue you and give you the power and the strength in your life. So, if you would, just uh, come with me this morning. If the Lord is calling you to make a commitment in your life to follow Him, I know a lot of you uh, young guys have uh, kind of been to glory land this past weekend. And if any of you guys would like to just come and kneel and pray and just ask the Lord to give you strength to continue on with your faith, I would encourage you to do that. But as I kneel, I wish you would just come and be a part of a prayer this morning. Lord, as I kneel here this morning, I ask those who... Lord needs you to come and just uh, pray. I ask, Lord, that you give us your power. You give us your love. Lord, I ask that you remove uh, Satan and his evilness from our families. And I pray as parents, Lord, we can become better examples of uh, living a life in you. Lord, we, we say forgive us for times that we fail. Sometimes we honestly don't know what to do. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we get mad and we have all these weird feelings going on inside of us. Lord, I ask that you comfort us. I ask, Lord, that you give us assurance. Lord, help us to have more faith, the right kind of faith, in believing that you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. Lord, help us to trust. We're just a bunch of sheep, Lord. We're frail, we're weak. Sometimes, Lord, we lose our way. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you're always there for us. You'll never turn your back on us. Lord, I don't understand all that, why you do it, but I know that you do. Because you've done it with me. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray for every family, every person here. 
ask that you be with him, be with their children. We, ask, we Lord, I pray for these young, these just wonderful, beautiful young adults. Lord, just the life that they have before them. And Lord, I, I just ask that you touch their life especially. Help them, Lord, to walk in you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.